Welcome to Profiles and in Leadership interview series. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and thank you for VGM Advantage for sponsoring us today. We have a great guest today, Ifosa Guobadia. Ifosa is the founder of the international website, PT Haven, co-founder and co-director of the international initiative, PT Day of Service, and the co-founder and president and CEO of Move Together, a 501c3, a purpose organization dedicated to improving access to quality rehab medicine around the corner and around the world. He developed and led the international volunteer program, ATI Mission Works, for ATI Physical Therapy from 2011 to 2016, and in the midst of which he did a 22-country, eight-month trip around the world. And in 2017, he contributed a chapter on sustainability as well as the closing afterword for the book, Why Global Health Matters, which was edited by Chris E. Stout and with a foreword by Nobel laureate Jody Williams. He received his BS in kinesiology from the University of Massachusetts in 2007 and in 2017 was recognized as the distinguished young alumni of the School of Public Health and Health Sciences. He also played varsity lacrosse on the UMass men's lacrosse team. In 2010, he received his doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Scranton. Welcome, Ifosa. Thanks for having me, Steve. So it seems to me, in reading your bio and getting to know you a little bit beforehand, that, that you kind of had this dream job with ATI <laughs> in Mission Works program. So how do you get a position like that right out of school? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, the desire to even want to do that actually started while I was in school. So I went to school at the University of Scranton, uh, which is based out of Scranton, Pennsylvania. For those who watch the show The Office, uh, they'll be familiar with the town, Dunder yeah. Mifflin, Mike, Michael Scott. And uh, just the notion of international service and volunteerism was really breeded there. At Scranton, being a Jesuit university, they talk a lot about being men and women for others and serving others. And uh, the founders of the Jesuits was a guy named St. Ignatius Loyola. He had this quote, Steve, that from the moment I heard it, it just lit me up. And the quote was, go set the world on fire go set the world in light. So that set the foundation for even wanting to do something like ATI Mission yeah. Works. And the spark for the program development started in 2011. November 2011, the, the leaders of my company at ATI, they, they came up to me with an opportunity. There was gonna be a mission trip down to Cali, Columbia, being led by a guy named Dr. Tony, Dr. Tony Ranella, and he was just an amazing guy. He would lead a group to Cali, Columbia twice a year, every six months, and they would do what I call miracles, Steve. Within one week, they're assessing kids uh, with these intense conditions, Morquillo syndrome, spina bifida, severe scoliotic angles, and they're assessing them and determining whose surgery is gonna be appropriate for, and then they walk alongside the local surgeons to do that surgery. So from, from the get-go, I saw, I saw a continuum, collaboration, and just getting stuff done. So you didn't apply to a job in ATI that had this title you joined ATI as a, as a staff PT, and then you got this opportunity, and then from that, you developed, or they developed ATI. Uh, yeah, once I came back from my trip, I met with the leaders. I said, I had a great time. You know, it was a very moving experience, a moving trip. We should actually create our own program where more of these opportunities could come. Uh, let's do it. And they gave me the green light, and from scratch, really, we built up the program to bring our fellow colleagues around the whole country to work with different organizations with different missions to go all over the world to serve. 
Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's an amazing story in the sense I'm thinking of. Uh, did they just see that greatness in you? Did you, uh, did, did you approach them with the idea? Again, it's an amazing uh, position, uh, so, so new out of school. So how did that happen? Yeah, from the moment I actually moved to Chicago, after graduating from Scranton, I moved to Chicago. I just had the mentality that I wanted to do. So I first of all reached out to all the chapter leaders saying, I'm coming to town. I had just wrapped up a term of the Student Assembly Board. So I knew some folks and some folks uh, knew me. I told them I want to lead. And then I, I got a chance very early on when I started with the company to meet a lot of the leaders of ATI and to talk about the profession and its capacity and potential and how we might as a, as a group and as a company take it to the next level. And I also shared a passion for service and my passion for service. So leading up to that time in 2011, yeah. I had had a relationship with many of the leaders in the company and it set the stage for that. Okay, so the lesson for that is yeah. you just didn't fall into something. Yeah. <laughs> you helped create something and you were, uh, uh, visionary enough to go out and, and, and not be afraid to, to talk with leaders in the profession and, and make the connections and basically you drove it. That's amazing. That's, that's impressive. Good Thanks for you. So much, yeah. yeah. So how did you, how did the trip around the world come about? I mean, were you supported by ATA <laughs> on this or is this just something you took a year off to do? Yeah, that happened a couple of years ago. So the Mission Works program went from 2011 to about 2014, 2016, but in about 2014, Steve, I just had it on my heart that I wanted to travel around the world. I found that when I had off time or just walking or meditating or whatever, I could see myself in Guatemala and Paris and China. And I just visualized myself moving through these different places, connecting with different people, serving with my hands and my heart and my words. And I couldn't kick it. So I said to myself that this must mean something. You know, I have yeah. to take a trip around the world. Uh, so I said, I'm taking a trip around the world. So I decided to share the idea and the thought and really the decision that I wanted to go with my leaders uh, uh, on this trip. And uh, we came to this place where we could make it work. A lot of what I was going to do and what I wanted to do while traveling was serving. A lot of the Mission Works program is about service. So right. I, we kind of came to this place while I'm traveling. I could still manage the program, set up trips, and the service projects uh, that I would be doing would be all part of the Mission Works mantra. Okay, so now that you're no longer with ATI. Is that program continuing? It has, and oh, I, I think that's the testament, and that was always my challenge from day one. Really create a strong foundation for the program and have people tethered to it, so whether I'm there or not, not only will it be maintained, but hopefully it'll actually thrive. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, taking this trip, yeah. I can only uh, assume that it changed you. So, what, what, what were your biggest takeaways from uh, spending uh, most of a year um, uh, in different countries and, and doing these services? Yeah, different parts around the world. So I was in Central America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia. And as you can imagine, different cultures, communities, people, ways, different foods, you know? So yeah. they influence and work in you in some ways and you hopefully you're influencing and working on others. Some of the thoughts that I, I learned, the lesson I learned was the, the magic and hospitality. You know, there's just so many people that were more welcoming and, and warm that I actually anticipated them to be, you know, when I needed a direction or needed a place, you know, they took me in and, and I was doing a lot of treating with my hands and I really, and a lot of people I was treating and working with, they had never had a health clinician touch their hurts and ask them where does it hurt and how does it hurt and when. So I was uh, reminded uh, of the power of touch, you know, and that really solidified everything I love about this profession. And lastly, uh, uh, I think I shared, with you, shared this with you in the past, I can share it here again. There was one really anecdote that really captured uh, what traveling and people and cultures could really 
do and shift in your life. And there's an anecdote that I'll share. Okay. I was in, uh, so I was in China for 16 days. Uh, my good friend, Josh D'Angelo was with me for eight of those days, but I was in China and Shanghai for eight days. And then the following eight days, I was in, Be in Beijing. I did some teaching, some treating, some different things of that nature. But Steve, while I was in Shanghai and doing some of my work, I was staying in this tall hotel. The hotel was about 50 stories. And, uh, and they had a cafeteria on the top floor. And some of the days I would take an elevator up to the top floor, enjoy a meal at that cafeteria, enjoy, enjoy the view. But then I'd walk down to my room, which I think was on the ninth floor. Mm -hmm. This one day, Steve, I'm walking down my room to the ninth floor. And I don't know where, as I'm in the staircase, I get this compelling force to just stop right where I was. And when I stop, I look up through the set of windows yonder into the schoolyard. The schoolyard had about 40 or 50 third graders, fourth graders, and fifth graders. And they were running and jumping and skipping and rolling and pulling and hugging. They were playing. The motion was uninhibited. It was poetry and poetic in motion. And I spent the next either five minutes watching them play or the next 35 minutes watching them play. At the end of that 35 minutes watching them play, a multitude of thoughts came crashing down. <laughs> the first thought that I had is that as we get older, not uniformly, not across the board, not everybody, but as we get older, we stop playing a little bit, like yeah. those kids were playing in that uninhibited way. We, we hesitate before we smile, we pause before we sing, before we dance. And lastly, I thought of two folks. I thought about what Dante says in Inferno La Commedia. He has this quote, Steve, that goes, I woke in the middle of my life in a dark wood, and the true way was wholly lost. I woke in the middle of my life in a dark wood and the true way was wholly lost. And it's it almost this warning or challenge of not waking up at 60 or 70 and realizing you hadn't done the things that you could have done or would have done or should have done if only you pursued the things in your heart yeah. and pursued the things in your soul. And I, I also finally thought about the, the Irish poet, his name is David White. He has this quote, how do you know that you're on your own path? You can't see where it's going, that's how you know. <laughs> or how do you know that you're doing yeah. something radical, the path disappears, that's how you know. So lessons like that and, and moments like that really moved me uh, on the trip. The idea of waking up each day and pursuing your daily joy. The idea of living life with intentionality. If there's somebody in front of you, you go up to them and you say hello. And ideas of just playing as much as you can. Yeah, so when you talk to people from different parts of the world and different cultures and whatever, so you said you were surprised by uh, you talked about touching and, 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 the, and the, the, the magic of touch, but, but what about in talking with people? What did you find out about people around the world? I found out that we, we have more, sim more things that we have in common that we have yeah. in part. You know, uh, yeah. the parent uh, wants their kid to get a good education and they want them to be healthy and happy. You see kids running and playing and, and chasing and smiling after each other. There's, there's this one moment, uh, the, the power of a smile. Josh and I, we went to the Great Wall while we were in Beijing and we did it in an interesting way. We biked towards the Great Wall for about three or four hours and then we walked a good portion of it. And on our bike ride, there was these farmers walking on the side and I made eye contact with a couple of them and I just gave them the heartiest wave and a smile as big as I could and they did it right back and yeah. we were communicating. I couldn't say two words yeah. with them, but we communicated in a way that I could see it till this day. So uh, power of a smile and eye contact, the connecting, the power of touch and that we all want the same things to maximize our lives and to be happy. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of a story that happened to me this, uh, this last spring. So it was in Argentina, and we were on this just great uh, kind of horseback uh, uh, ride up into the mountains, and, and our gaucho, Nino, 
uh, spoke, you know, um, Spanish obviously is his first language and, and didn't speak great English, but we could kind of communicate. So he went back to his home, took us to his home, had this great asada, which is an Argentine barbecue. And we were talking, and he wanted to know what kind of music I wanted to listen to while we were uh, having the barbecue. So I said, uh, well, I want to listen to some, you know, something local, uh, Argentine like folk music. And he kind of looked at me weird, and he goes like, okay. So he put on this Argentine folk music, which I enjoyed, but I could tell he thought it was a little hokey. <laughs> but then he said, he said, but you're from Seattle. And I said, yes. He says, then can I put on music I like? And I said, well, of course. And so he put on Pearl Jam. <laughs> so it was kind of like in that instance, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, here's a real commonality that that you know he loves something from my area, and I'm enjoying so something so much from his area. Those are special moments. Yeah. So that, that's just that's great. So now you just finished your third annual PT Day of Service. Uh, that was just last weekend. So um, how did it go? I mean, I saw things on social media that looked like it was it was doing great. Yeah, we're actually in Portland, and we uh, we served alongside some people from TIA, yeah. and they were absolutely amazing. Yeah. So it was neat to we try. I try to serve in Josh as well as serve in different places each year. So it was an honor to serve there. But how did it go? It was magical, and at this point, Josh and I were just hanging off for the ride of the inspiration going on. We had projects in 55 different countries. The common denominator service and the numerator almost is different people come together in different ways, and as they share their photos online with the hashtag PTDF service, so it was pretty moving. And from the get-go, what the initiative has been always been, has always been about is local service for a global impact for this global effect. You know, so this micro to macro collective uh, aggregation, and uh, uh, we believe that happened, and we hope it continues to happen in more punctuating and punctuating ways down the road. But how does that happen in three <laughs> years? I mean, literally, I mean, you can maybe get your head around the fact that there's a lot of people in this country that, that know of you and social media and whatever, but 55 countries. I mean, it's, it's just so impressive. I mean, do you, are you just that good? <laughs> I think there's a few things there. Uh, I think the most important thing is a, is a testament of people and a testament of those in our profession that people want to serve. Yeah. Uh, I think PT Day of Service became this vehicle for those to do so. There's already people already doing so many wonderful things, but we believe we brought some more people uh, into the realm. And then none of this is possible without the team. You know, uh, Josh and I, we've ideated on this from year one. We, we visualize where this could go because we're making a bet on people wanting to serve and, and the compassionation of most folks. Uh, and then we called some of our friends in year one we had a team of 10 and the next year we probably had a team of 15 or 18 this year we have a team of 24 and they're doing things infinitely better than we could probably or we would even try to do so uh, it uh, the vision is key and that's a lot of the why but then the how and the what is by getting great people together and, uh, and letting them do their magic yeah well it's it's very impressive and I, I, I'm I'm surprised you don't have a bigger ego about it because uh, not many people can accomplish that. So that's that's great. Now it sounds to me like, or it, you know, from what you're doing with uh, Move Together now, as, as and so on, and and that, that you're you're driven to help the underprivileged. And um, so how do you do that and pay the bills? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first part of your question, uh, yes, that's something I really will grab. Uh, service just makes sense to me. You know, I. I I really think in this world, it's not just about what we could do, but what we could do together. And it's how we could uh, help our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters and how we could receive support from our fellow brothers and sisters. That is worthy to do, and to me, that is worth doing. So it started, uh, probably there's roots in there from growing up, but uh, 
Uh, there was a spark in PT school, you know, and then there was a spark with Mission Works, and now we have we just founded this, co-founded this new nonprofit organization, for-purpose, high-impact, 501c organization, called Move Together, and uh, and we have a strong foundation that we're building on. A mission of that organization is to increase access to quality rehab medicine around the corner and around the world. And when we talk about around the corner and around the world, that means global. So in our backyard in Seattle or Atlanta or Chicago, but certainly abroad in Guatemala City and Managua and Lagos, Nigeria, where can we facilitate those to do good? And our vision, Steve, is, is one that uh, has organically come together the last couple of weeks is a clinic in every community and a community in every clinic. You know, a clinic in every community which speaks the breadth of what we want to do a community in every clinic which speaks the punctuating depth of establishing and empowering local capacity that we want to breed. And lastly, to do so, we have three pillars. For our mission, we have a pillar called increasing the quality and quantity of clinics. So acknowledging there's already a lot of great clinics doing great things everywhere, whether it's pro bono, quote unquote pro bono for the public good clinics in the states, or whether it's clinics in Esquipulas, Guatemala, how can we support them? But that speaks to the quality, health and quality. Also new quantity, how can we build new clinics in these communities? Steve, we were just in uh, Villanueva, Guatemala a couple of months ago in May 2017. Villanueva is the second most populous city in Guatemala. We worked hand in hand with the municipality, the mayor, the first lady of the town, the director of health, and we built the clinic in one day. A lot of prep work went into that day, but we got the walls and the ceiling up in one day, and then we operationalized it throughout the week that the clinic is still standing and operating and being led by local PTs, PT students, and again, it's thriving beyond what we could do. Our second pillar is called empowering local clinicians, so helping the local doers do things locally, not just going and leaving, but going and leave something behind. So it's sustainable. Sustainability. So and that's resources, that's equipment, that's education, what can we teach, what can we learn. And then our third pillar in PT Day of Service falls under the third pillar, is catalyzing servant leadership. You know, utilizing a critical mass to uphold our mission and fulfill our vision, uh, and that's the drive. In terms of how do we make this work, uh, one way with a lot of our programs, we like to make them as budget neutral as possible. You know, so especially with our partners on the ground in some of these communities, really work hand in hand to make the finance and the economics work. So within the programmatic realm, a lot of thinking and planning goes in how can we minimize cost and maximize impact. On the organizational end, we're about a year and a about a year and a half old. So now the step is developing relationships with organizations. We just partnered with the American Physical Therapy Association. We have an MOU with them where we saw great docking points in which our missions and our visions connect us. So how can we work together to make this a better world, to improve the human experience? And the last step with companies, uh, big, small companies and big companies, we want to tap into that concept of CSR, right? Corporate social responsibility. How can we partner with organizations and use their awesome critical mass of employees to work with us, again, to fulfill uh, the alliance or the aligned missions and values that we believe we have? So here's what I have trouble getting my head around. So from the programmatic position of what you descri described, I can see that. That's organizing, building relationships, getting communities, getting others to help, getting corporate help and whatever. But what, what I'm amazed about is you're, what, five years out of school? I graduated in 2010, so seven. Okay, yeah. seven, years, okay. seven years out of school. But uh, I know as a new professional, you have uh, student loans. I'm sure you're paying off. You've got expenses. You had you know, a job with a, uh, with a corporate player for a while, so you made a steady income then. But now as moved together, how does EFOSA 
continue on life, pay the, pay the rent, do whatever, as you're building this wonderful thing. Because that's, that's a, you know, I, the reason I ask a question is because I think a lot of new professionals are, are like, well, I can't do anything like that because I have these responsibilities or these bills or the, the, that I have to pay. So how do, you, how do you take the risk to leap off the cliff and do that? It's a great question. Uh, and I start with the end in mind. So what that means, I, I look at the other side of the river, whether it's a project or an organization or a way of life, how do I want to live? What can this organization look like? And what can we really do with this project? And I, I spend however long it takes to see it. It could be a minute, it could be a couple of months, it could be longer. But once I see it and I, that's, that vision persists and I decide I want to do it, then I work backwards, you know, and uh, uh, bring the best people together, you know, those who uh, believe in this vision of this organization, this way of life, and then you make it happen. I'm still in the path of trying to create this and, and build it to the best that it could be. And it also is a sense of faith, you know. Uh, uh, once I made the transition from working to a company to build this organization, I, I tapped into some reserves, you know, to get things going. And, and now we're at that point where you think we're going to be at this tipping point, inflection point, uh, if we're talking on the organization front of uh, creating more partnerships and MOUs so we can structurally support the organization on the level to increase our bandwidth, bring in staff so we could do more. And uh, really, again, working hard on the programmatic side to make things as efficiently run as possible. But uh, it's a sense of faith and a belief of what's, what's the best life, if we're talking on that level, what does the best organization look like, and uh, what does the best version of this project look like, and then just believing it can happen. And I'm happy to say, uh, for the most part throughout life, I've been able to uh, effectuate change and, and get to that other side of the river. So let me dig a little deeper. Now, I'm not trying to get into your personal business, mm -hmm. yeah. but, you know, I, I want people watching this to say, okay, I understand all that and it's amazing, it's great, but, but how do you um, make money? Because you have to make money to be able to live. So do you make money by donations that come in and, and sponsorships that come in, whatever, and some of that goes to, to operations, which pays your salary and the operations come in. Is that how it works? That, that's helpful. So the last uh, about two or three months, I've started taking a minimum salary for some funds raised. And our par paradigm to actually make this happen is, is gonna be a two front. So again, we wanna create partnerships with companies and association and things of that nature. And that will, that will help us structure the organization. So we're really, this is a time of that inflection point. Uh, so, <laughs> so do you see Move Together as a growing, evolving company? I mean, is that uh, are you growing this for sustainability? Do you see this as something that's going to be your your life work? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big part of my life. One of the visional cogs in my life, and I have several, but one of the visional cogs is a healthier world through a healthier movement. A healthier world through a healthier movement, and through this part, through this pathway of the global health sector, a quote unquote nonprofit of five one five one c three, I'm on that path. You know, so it's. Building more, building more clinics and more communities, educating, empowering, and I'm making servant leadership a viable and a palpable path in the profession. We see there's association leadership, there's corporate leadership, there's clinic leadership. We believe that servant leadership can be a strong and viable and palpable path there. So I really believe in that. Uh, and then I have some entrepreneur ideas kicking in. It's all about time and when, when some of that stuff comes in. But I think there's a revolution coming down the pike, not only in healthcare, but also in physical therapy in which we could play with some of the themes of marrying technology and health and, and certainly consumer choice. So on this program, we've talked before about what is success, how do you define success? So when, I look at, when you look at Move Together and you say, this is success, what does that look like? For Move Together, uh, so 
That's a great question. I'll, I'll answer it in, in a piece. Uh, first of all, everything that we do, we, we make sure we're measuring, measuring by the mission. You know, I call it the mission drive, you know. Increasing access to quality rehab medicine around the corner, around the world. Are all these things that we do able to meet the measure and be up to level? Uh, if we could say yes at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, end of the quarter, we were successful on that front. So that's the mission drive. That's our engine. That's our anchor. Our vision pursuit is uh, that clinic in every community and community in every clinic. And that may be a horizon that keeps on expanding. But on the journey, uh, we have some goals and markers. Uh, next year, we believe we could do another one or two clinics. The, a couple of years after that, we think we could increase our bandwidth to three, four, five, or six. So we'll, we put in specific metrics to be measured, you know, per organization, per pillar, per program, per project. So that's how we measure uh, what are we doing and are we moving towards, quote unquote, something called success. Uh, but also, some of it is also going to be nebulous. It's, it's service and servant leadership in the culture of the profession. You know, when I see people uh, at CSM or a conference or anybody, is the first thing they want to talk about PT Day of Service or when's the next trip you're, you're going on. So those, those instances and moments and encounters, uh, they're sometimes harder to measure. And, you know, they may not have a metric, but I see that as success. Yeah, that's great. So everyone who knows you says that you're a great leader that brings uh, people together so well. And I think you just described uh, very eloquently how you do that. But, but, but in another sense, what is your secret? What's your style? I mean, where does all this come from? For success, oh, for leadership? For le I mean, <laughs> for leadership. Where, where does all your ability to, to make this thing happen come from? Is it just, uh, you know, you had good genes or did you have some experience? I mean, what, and then, and then describe your style uh, that, 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 you, uh, that you're comfortable with. Yeah, I think we're continuously being made and we're growing and things of that nature. So I'm still leading, you know, uh, encounters with folks like you, Steve, and, and books that I read and, and people that I meet. Uh, Emerson has this quote, each man is, or woman is my superior in some way. You know, so from the, the kid that I may be coaching or a person I may talk to in the street, I'm learning. And I think that's important for leadership uh, and growth. But in terms of development, before I share my philosophy, play sports growing up, mm -hmm. you know. and and uh, understand, and you, sometimes at the bottom of rung as a freshman, you know, and then and when you're senior, you're a captain. So being able to see different things of, uh, from different angles, uh, from the senior leaders or junior leaders, from the from the coach and things like that, uh, I've certainly been influenced by my parents and my siblings. So, and probably the unknown that I don't know, but uh, that that's helped in my development. My leadership style, it's it's in line with a lot of things I guess we're talking about in this podcast. Uh, Leadership is service, you know, leadership is service. There's an antidote, there's a Steve Colbert. Uh, he, he gave a talk to Northwestern a couple of years ago, a commencement talk. And uh, Colbert is a comedian, an improv, improv guy. And he came up by way of Second City in uh, Chicago. And he goes, what we learned in Second City uh, during our training is that you're not the most important person in the room or on the stage specifically, everybody else is. Yeah. So it should be your mindset to set that person up for a joke or for a good move or whatever it is, set them up for success so the audience could get that laugh. And that, that will lead to a great show. The beautiful logic with that is that if every other team member has that mentality, you're on the end are the most important person to them. Yeah. You know, and it really creates this, this culture of service and servant leadership. And the last two cogs of my philosophy of leadership, I sometimes think of the analogy of, uh, of the basketball coach, of knowing his players on the team, you know. Uh, on this team, he may have a shack on his team, and 
if you know Shaq, you know he likes to play from the paint, right? Yeah. You know? So uh, keep him near the paint. He's going to dunk. He's going to huck. Uh, you may have a Steve Curry on your team. We know Steve. He's a shooter. Yeah. Three-point line, maybe the half-court line. He'll make the shot. So really empower, know your players, know your team, empower them, and put them in the best places uh, to succeed. Uh, with their style, but also encourage them to grow their style and to expand because when they're comfortable and when they're doing well and when they hit the objectives, the organization, the team overall is going to win and, and hit their objectives. And I, the last line I would say is the concept of the positive pursuit of excellence. You know, want excellence, you know, but yeah. an excellence and, and identify with excellence and palpate excellence. And for excellence, it needs to be pursued with your heart, with your soul, with your everything. And that pursuit can be done positively with listening, with caring. Uh, this one leader, Eric Wright, in space out of Missouri, wrote this great book called The Heart and the Fist. He was in an interview not too long ago, or maybe a couple of years ago now. And he said, every leader needs to show his team, or his or her team, that he cares about them. Yeah. You know how you do that? by actually caring about yeah, them. Exactly. You know, so that's important, not just talking about yeah. You know, it's interesting the analogy you use on the comedy team. I've, uh, one of my books that I just think is a wonderful book is called uh, Yes to the Mess. And basically it's written by um, a behavioral business uh, leader developer, um, but he's also a jazz pianist. So he uses the jazz band as an analogy, much like the comedy club. Meaning that if you know anything about jazz, somebody goes out on a solo and the rest of the band members have to you know, follow that person and support them and make them look good and add to it and, and make it better and better or it's a disaster. So if you hit the groove, everyone's doing their job and it's great. And if they're not doing it, 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 it just doesn't sound that great. So I think that sometimes those analogies in different ways, because leadership by itself can be complex. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, I, you know, yeah, it makes sense, but how do I do it? So we can use different analogies to, to get that information. Are you a jazz player or jazz lover, Steve? Uh, I like jazz a lot. Uh, I'm a guitar player, so it, I can relate to that. So how about you? Do you play an instrument? Many moons ago, I played the trombone. Yeah, yeah. Many moons, so you can't just whip it out and, uh, and, sh and show people. Uh, I could probably put some sounds together, but uh, it was a long time ago now. <laughs> oh, gosh. So you've talked a lot about um, what you've learned about people uh, that you serve and that you've, um, uh, you've been in contact with in your mission work and, and so on. But what have you learned about people that serve with you that are on the physical therapy side? That serve alongside with me, there's a... Uh, there are specific people I could, uh, I could even mention. Uh, I work, uh, oftentimes people see me and they go, where's Josh? Or they see Josh, they go, where is he, Fosa? You know, so <laughs> yeah. we, we, uh, we've grown together, and we, we've learned together, and we've learned from each other. Uh, uh, learning from him specifically, he's a, such a hard worker. He's able to bring an operational mind to so many things, uh, and uh, his heart's in the same place. Uh, I, I work a lot with a person called April Fajardo. She's one of the staff that moved together. And uh, she just cares about people, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, just put, and wanting to help people and take care of people and serve people. Uh, we work with uh, Keaton Ray, and she, she has a high, strong leadership with PT Day of Service. And she just, when she touches something, it gets better, you know? She's uh, a fireball. She's a fireball, so, yeah. and, and with all these people, if you're going, I don't know if you're going nebulous or specific, but these specific people in my life, uh, I feel so, and many more, I feel so comfortable and, 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 and lucky to be working with them and daily, by the encounter, again, I'm trying to learn from them uh, as much as I'm hopefully sharing with them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up Josh. Uh, um, there, there's another great book written. It's called The Power Two. And this author's theory is, is that if you look at some great things that have happened in the world, it's usually by two people, not necessarily one. 
I mean, he uses examples of uh, Gates and Allen, uh, Jobs and Wozniak, uh, Lennon McCartney, uh, you know, all these that were, where it was the two that, that, that by themselves may have been too much one way or a little uh, uh, harder edge on one way, but together that meld is just really what makes it fly. So uh, maybe that's you and Josh, huh? Um, if we agree, and I think you've already said it, that everyone needs a purpose, um, how do PTs find that purpose? Because what I've found lately is that some new professionals struggle coming out of school to find that purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, they hit school and they get excited and there's so much opportunity. They go and they hit the world of PT and then they kind of struggle to find that purpose. So what would your advice to them be? On the individual level or as a PT? As a, as a, yeah, in the PT profession, as a PT. Okay, so that's micro macro. I'll start with the micro then. Okay. You know, there's a, I think uh, to be a, find your purpose, it starts with uh, knowing thyself you know, looking to your past and looking within. And there's sometimes question before you can look ahead to what you want to do and how you're going to ride the path and the purpose uh, before you. And there's some questions that I, I, I often ask myself, and I've done some mentorship calls with some, some younger folks uh, in, the, in the PT realm, new professionals. Almost every year, there's probably a couple of new professionals I hop on the phone with and talk about some of this stuff, purpose. And there's a few questions, sets of questions I ask. The first question is, uh, is a set of three questions. Is, uh, what are you passionate about? You know, that, that's, there's a lot packed into the word passion, but what are you passionate about? What puts you in flow? What are you good at, instinctively good at? I mean, that's not gonna be a limiting factor if you're not good at a certain things that you may wanna do, but know, know that yourself. What are you good at? And then the third question is, uh, what brings good into the world? And then almost like a, a Venn diagram, start to see where some of those things may fuse and overlap. That's one set of question. There's, a, there's another question that's very direct, and people that are looking for their passion or their purpose, at least, they don't ask themselves this question enough. And I'll set it up with a movie scene. You've seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, yes, yeah, with the sure. Jimmy Stewart, I think yeah. the early 1940s, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. But there's one scene early in the movie, Jimmy Stewart's character, George, is walking Donna Reed's character, Mary, home after the, from the prom early on. It's nighttime, there's a full moon out, and they're walking. And out of nowhere, uh, George Bailey's character stops and looks at Mary, and he goes, what do you want, Mary? What do you want? You want the moon? And she goes, yeah, I'll take it. Now what? He goes, I'll throw a lasso around and pull it down, and then you can swallow it, and the moonshine will come out of your eyes and your hairs and your fingernails. What do you want? You know, and it's that punctuating question that if we really ask ourselves and we're brave enough to seek what that answer may be, the next steps start to reveal themselves. And maybe the last question, this is still macro level, micro level, is a term I, I came up with, it's called futuristic retrospection. And it's similar to what I later found out, it was similar to the grandfather test. But futuristic retrospection is visualizing yourself uh, at the age of 80 or 90 or whatever, whatever age, uh, hanging out in pajamas, you know, pink or whatever pajamas, <laughs> purple, and visualize your current self having a conversation with that version, that older version of yourself and asking that person, what do you wish you did? Right after graduation from PT school in your 20s, and your 30s, your 40s, what do you wish you did? And then whatever that answer is, whatever it is, you really have to pursue it. And I read this article on Slate a couple of months ago that said, when we think about an older version of ourselves, the same part of our brain lights up as if we're thinking about a stranger. You know, so as when we do an exercise like that, it's almost as existential then where we're getting advice from uh, an outside perspective of person, from the person who knows us the best, which is ourself. So uh, that's on the micro level. On the macro level as a profession, I, 
Steve, I love this profession. You know, it's, uh, I used the term earlier, but it's one in which we get a chance to use our, our hands and our hearts and our words, and we get to spend the 45 minutes, the 60 minutes. We, we get relationships with our parents, with our patients. They bring us chocolate chip cookies, right? You know, that's a, that's a special thing. So knowing our fundamental value of what we do, we, we help people move better so that they can live better, you know, and live that better life, you know? We, we decrease pain, we improve function. The fundamental value, if we always palpate that and, uh, and really stay, really continue to think how we can innovate and wish that fundamental value can be delivered in its best way. Our profession is going to keep on growing and growing and growing. If we also have the mentality of uh, mindset, really knowing the true nature of what autonomy is. Our autonomy is not working in isolation. It's taking responsibility and seeing how you can work with others to do the best for the patient in front of you. Keep an eye out for part two of this interview coming soon from VGM Advantage.